and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is actor Stuart Fracken. Now, Stuart's probably best remembered for his portrayal of Styles in Teen Wolf 2. Yes, we've had both Styles on our show, had Jerry Levine on a couple years ago. Stuart talks about getting the role, just the quality of the movie, and he poses a very interesting theory about Styles that I never really thought of. On the silver screen, he was in Godzilla, Ski School, and his very first role was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. TV-wise, guest starring in Golden Girls, Melrose Place, Friends, NYPD Blue to name a few. He was in They Came From Out of Space with Dean Cameron, also from Ski School, and you remember him from Summer School as well. I really enjoyed my conversation with Stuart, and I hope you do as well. So, Stuart, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So how has like the last 18 months been for you? Uh, weird. So much has happened. So much has changed in the world that it's hard to not pay attention to it all. So when I look at the past 18 months for me, I think of it globally i look at it more uh how it's affected our world but for me i mean you know thankfully it's been it's been good knock on wood um i was one of those people last year who was counting the days to uh get a vaccine get a shot so i was watching it progress throughout the various phases and for me personally i was very excited to be able to get a shot and then potentially get to the other side of it but yeah hasn't we haven't gotten there yet no no I mean, hope, hopefully soon but all the stories you hear out there it doesn't seem like it a lot of uh ignorant people out there but you know that's for another another day <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a whole long conversation, Noel, that probably you are not expecting to have with me. But if you open up that Pandora's box, buddy, you better be ready. Hey, whatever you want to talk about, I'm here. So it's, you know, it's, it's totally fine. But you know, if, as long as we listen to Nicki Minaj's cousins, friends, brother, sister, yes. whatever it is. Yeah, we're, we're going to be screwed. That's true. So. <laughs> no, my nuts are intact. So yeah. I, I I got both doses and I'm, I'm fine. My, my pants still fit me. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I'm just waiting if we can get the, the booster shot. Well, I'm just waiting for guidance and approval for that. So man, we'll see dude, what happens. I am, I'm the first one in line. I've been telling people, people are like, what, why? I was like, tell me why. Yeah. Because, you know, thankfully I didn't have an adverse reaction personally, but I mean, anything that's going to increase the chances of me being healthy, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I, I trust the science. I trust, uh, I do trust our government. Am I leery of it a little bit? Sure, I am. Yeah. But at the same time, we're the, we are the richest and smartest nation on the face of this planet. I mean, Let's, let's think about this logically and move forward by understanding what you are putting into your body first, that's understood. And second, 
you know, their, you know, vaccinations have been around for generations and mandates have been around for generations. Yep. So to point a finger at this particular one, just because it's new to me is, um, it's not realistic. It's unrealistic. So. Right. And this is like the first one. I'm, it's been, you know, a couple of decades since we actually had one. So people don't realize that they actually had to do this when they went to elementary school. When you have to go to public school, you got to get all your vaccinations. I mean, more than just one. So yes. the fact that, you know, people are just too ignorant to realize that it's, it's, I mean, how the hell, I mean, how do we, how did we eradicate polio? Right. How did we eradicate the mumps, measles? I mean, when we were, you know, when we, when I was a kid, I don't know how old you are and all, but when I was a kid, you had to have vaccinations, period. That's all there was to do. You go to the doctor, you get it done. I mean, there was a small percentage of people, certainly that did not believe in them, but that percentage is much larger now for uh, forces that are uh, unfortunately uh, out there. Right. Um, but, you know, like I said, I mean, I've been saying this since last year is that the vaccination has come at a time when this country, this planet needs it the most and to deny it is a mistake. We will never be able to move forward and potentially get back to some normalcy. I put in air quotes until there's a certain percentage of people that have taken and have been uh, that have, have been inoculated. Yeah. I mean, to me, the crazy thing is that we're politicizing science and medicine. That, I mean, that's yeah. just should not be the case, but no. And, and here we are. Know, here we are. Yes. So it's yeah. turned into a, an unfortunate political football that uh, our scientists are paying the price. That, I'm just, yeah. I'm just I mean, literally, that's all, that's all they're supposed to do. That's their job. Right. They're not in it to make a political statement. Their job is to create a, uh, a science. This is a huge scientific breakthrough. The two vaccines, not the Johnson & Johnson one, that's right. more of a traditional vaccine, but the two mRNA vaccines are an incredible scientific breakthrough that if you understand them and you, you know how they came about, it's not, it's not something that's new. It's been around since the 90s. Right. Um, in fact, it was going to be used for Ebola uh, to treat Ebola, but um, it, it eventually was not. So this was the perfect opportunity for them to test it and so you know, clearly the data is there where it is relatively safe for the majority of the population. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just counting down where I can get my, you know, my two younger kids vaccinated. Yeah. Unfortunately, my daughter is 11, but she has unfortunately a body as a teen now, which mm-hmm. I would love to lock her up in a dungeon, but I can't do that. Right. You know, physically she can get the, the vaccine now, but she has to wait. By so. law, she has to wait until. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully she has to wait until 12, you. but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And my two-year-old. I'm glad you know, yeah. So that way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, like besides obviously the vaccine and I mean the, the pandemic and stuff, like what's what else has been going on in the last few years with you? Um, well, I have, you know, I've worked a job where I'm sitting at. I'm thankful that um I was 
able to transition. At one point in my life, I was uh, blessed to be able to work as much as I did. Very lucky in the, uh, when I was younger in my 20s to be able to chase my dream of being a professional actor. I didn't call myself a professional actor until I accepted my first paycheck. 1984 for the movie girls just want to have fun my mother at the time was was uh, continuously would tell me to to have a backup just in case this uh acting thing didn't work out so thankfully it did work out for quite a few years it was very lucky um worked for about 15 years straight um uh providing for myself and then but uh, for myself and then when my family was when my kids were younger and eventually I decided to um, get a job because I couldn't uh, provide for my family the way I'd like to provide for my I wanted to provide for my family so I got a job and that's what I've been doing um, in addition to mixing in you know work here and there um, Malcolm in the Middle. I was on Malcolm in the Middle a few years back and uh, some other smaller things as well. But I always had a plan of when my daughter graduated from college, I would get back into acting full time. So that's, uh, so if you look at my website, you'll see some new headshots in there. And so I've been going in on uh, commercial auditions. And so theatrical will be next. In addition to, um, you know, these kind of things. And so you've seen an influx of interest in 80s pop culture, which uh, I would say some of the things that I did in, my, uh, in, in the mid to late 80s have come back and hit pop culture and people are interested in them. So I've been, you know, doing podcasts with uh, professional folks like yourself. So like when you get a role like on Malcolm in the Middle, which was like, you know, a few years ago already. Was that like something that you auditioned for? Or someone like, say, you needed someone to do this guest spot? I mean, because, you know, you didn't have, you know, too many roles during that time. So the, uh, um, so the, those jobs, so um, early in my uh, non acting career, I was still uh, pretty busy auditioning. Okay. And at that point, I'd worked enough where, um, I had worked for, uh, I went in for a commercial for John Landis, the director of Animal House Trading Places Coming to America. And he had seen, this is an interesting story. He had, he had asked his assistant to pull all of the movies that were similar to Animal House. This was the story he told me when I met him on right. the first that we did together so one of the movies he saw was ski school okay. which was very animal house like right. and so he uh saw me and my audition and that's why he eventually hired me for this commercial i went on to work with john five more times after that so the answer to your question is is that when you worked enough you sort of get to a point where maybe people don't ask you uh, or offer you roles, but they know your work enough where they trust you're going to do a, a professional job right. and and uh, uh, be right or somewhat right for the character. So some something like Malcolm in the Middle 
coincidentally enough, I knew the director through, uh, the director was the first AD of Malcolm in the Middle and his uh, son was friends with my son. So we were friends with the family. And so that's sort of how that came into place. Prior to that, I did a guest star on uh, Tremors, the TV series, right. which was shot in Mexico. And uh, that was, a, that was a few years ago, but I had uh, basically been offered that role because of uh, the producers were familiar with They Came From Outer Space, a TV show I did in the early 90s with Dean. So that's sort of a long-winded answer to your right. question. <laughs> Yeah. And you've, you know, you've, you've worked with Dean, you know, quite a bit, you know, he's a great guy, obviously ski school, he mentioned TV show, not to mention, uh, was a minute work he was in and uh, as well as, um, summer school, I guess, which, you know, pretty much started it all. How did you first meet him? Uh, so I had seen Dean many times throughout early in my career when I was really just starting the engine of going on auditions and uh, thinking this is what I wanted to do when I was in my mid twenties and Dean had done uh, a summer school. And so at that time there was a very small group of young actors that knew each other. And he was one of those, they recalled ourselves the interview guys because we'd all basically go in for very similar roles so we'd see each other all. So Dean was one of those guys. And so I knew Dean on the uh, periphery simply because of who he was. And he was extremely, he was, he was the guy for a couple of years there after he did summer school. So I'd see him at auditions and I knew who he was. And uh, in fact, I would go in on roles and there's a service called the breakdown service, uh, which has a description of the part that you were reading for they'd send out to agents. And there would be sometimes in the role, it would say a Dean Cameron type. And so that went on for uh, a couple of years. Uh, and it, 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 uh, it, it peaked when I went, when I went to go meet a commercial agent, I was trying to get a commercial agent and um, the commercial agent represented Dean. And so I'd heard about Dean and seen Dean and compared to Dean. And then uh, I went into audition for this commercial director with another actress and right behind the, the agent was Dean's <laughs> eight by 10 pinned to the wall. And I was like, holy shit, come on. Right. So then eventually I um, auditioned for this movie called Ski School. And there was one role in it that was very well written. It was very funny, um, reminded me a lot of Bill Murray roles. And so I went in for that role, auditioned for it, and felt I was going to get it. Eventually they made an offer to Dean. And then they offered me another role in the movie. Um, so after much consternation, I took it. But one of the reasons why I took it was to work with Dean. So right. that's how I eventually met Dean was um, working on ski school. Yeah. It's funny how you always hear, oh, you know, we want a Dean Cameron type. So then they just end up getting Dean Cameron. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's so many different roles you hear about stories. We want this actor type, you know, but this guy's available. Might as well just get him. Yeah, so there's a there's a story an old friend of mine who is an actor too. Um, uh, his name is Mitchell Whitfield. Really talented guy. He was yeah. my cousin. We were buddies. We're inseparable for many years, and so he tells a story of them uh, and the breakdowns coming up and asking, looking for a Mitchell Whitfield type. And so his agents approached the casting people and said, well, I represent Mitchell. Why don't you just offer him the role? And they were like, we're just looking for a Mitchell Whitfield type. Right. <laughs> we don't actually we want won. Mitchell Whitfield. So yeah, I think that's happened one time in my life where they've said where they that's been in the breakdown i think i have it somewhere i was very proud of that moment mm -hmm. there are certain moments in my illustrious career that um those things meant something at that time yeah. that's, that's pretty funny now like you mentioned Malcolm in the middle you've done a bunch of other you know sitcoms guest starring roles and as well as you know, dramas, which ones do you prefer? Well, I was, you know, as I got a little bit older, I transitioned to more dramatic roles, um, Tour of Duty, uh, TV show Courthouse, Melrose Place. So like I said at the beginning, it was very, it was a difficult transition. It was hard to transition from those uh, wacky best friend roles to more dramatic roles and then to follow that up with something else, which I don't think I accomplished <clears throat> other than doing theater as well. Um, I, I, I still prefer uh, comedy over drama just simply because I think I'm better at it. Um, that's where a show like They Came From Matter Space was really, you know, uh, in both mine and Dean's wheelhouse, we were both kind of peaking at that time. In addition to, it allowed us to uh, expand our um, improvisational skills, which I was uh, trained in early on in my uh, youth. Have you and Dean ever like considered just like sitting down writing a screenplay or any projects together? So we, uh, when we did our show together, we were uh, negotiating for a second season and Dean and I had written a script to open up the second season with um, that uh, is a, uh, basically take some of the plot lines from the previous shows and introduces them. So the plan was, so we actually wrote the script and it is, uh, uh, it is on my website, so if you ever wanted to take a look at that unpublished uh, uh, script, it's on my website. I uploaded it on there. Um, so we have written, we did write that together in addition to post outer space, Dean and I were uh, had a holding contract with Universal uh, for a few months while they tried to develop a show for us. And at that time, Dean and I came up with a concept and started writing a script for the both of us, which didn't end up getting produced, but they were trying to find a project for both of us at that time. Since then, we haven't done, we haven't right. sat down and 
that pursuit mm-hmm. that. Right. Have you been like speaking of like you know projects never really kind of came to like fruition? Have you been like did you film any pilots that never got picked up? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, quite a few pilots that uh, didn't get picked up. Um, I did a pilot uh, for, I mean, this is a long time ago, but I did a pilot for, um, so I was in a theater company, a very talented playwright, a novelist named Peter Lefcourt wrote a pilot who was very popular with the networks at the time. He wrote a pilot for HBO that I went in for and I eventually booked uh, called Love and Madness. And it was with uh, Joanna Kearns, Gregory Harrison, and a very young Sarah Paulson. Um, So we shot that pilot and it was up against, so at the time HBO was trying to decide between three pilots they had at the time. Ours, Love and Madness, a show, and I'll never forget this because I was told at the time, I was like, so Stuart, we're up against these other shows. One was one I read for, which was called Sex in the City. And the third one was a little show called The Sopranos. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So between the three of those, we lost out. Right. Um, it was a funny show, Love and Madness. It wasn't, <clears throat> my opinion, it wasn't meant for HBO. It wasn't the HBO kind of show. Um, it was more of a network show or more of a fourth or fifth network show, like a Fox or a, yeah. it was more of a Fox show at the time. Um, also did a uh, non-aired pilot, which was a very well-written, funny show directed by a, a very talented director. Uh, that one was a, um, a vehicle for a comedian. They uh, created a pilot around this comedian at the time. Seinfeld was very popular. So they did this. That one was called uh, Hot and Bothered. Uh, so I did that non-aired pilot as well. I also also did another pilot for um, the spinoff of NY. This is crazy. It was a spinoff of NYPD Blue called NYPD Blue, NYPD Blue 2069. Okay. And it took place in the year 2069. Yeah. So that was another on-air pilot that I did. With a very old Dennis Franz. Did he kind of guest star? (laughs) Who? Dennis Franz. I'm sure he's very old. Yeah. An old uh, bear ass. (laughs) No, I think my guess is 2069. He wouldn't be around by then. And um, I was actually on a couple of those episodes. I was on a couple of guest starring episodes on uh, NYPD Blue. Yeah, I did two of them actually. Now, what do you think the networks do with these pilots? Like both air and on air. What do they do with them? Uh, they don't do anything with them. So they there is a book I saw. And it is a history of unaired pilots. So if you ever wanted to look up any of those pilots I just mentioned, right. you probably can find them in this book. Um, 
I would think there would be some money in it. Um, I mean, don't forget when you do air those unaired pilots, you do have to pay the right. talent again. Right, of course. Uh, and then potentially renegotiate with them. So there probably is an audience for it, I would think. There certainly is an audience for it in print. Um, as I said, I couldn't believe that there was a book that had uh, unaired pilots in yeah. it. One of those ones that I just mentioned was in it. So I don't know other, other than that, they go on the shelf. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit that's made that's shelved and then unearth when somebody in that particular project becomes a star right now you mentioned it Fox doesn't make now. it doesn't make what they did doesn't make whatever that project is any better no at all, right. at all. Yeah. it just right. makes it interesting yeah it's true like you can let's throw out jennifer anderson for a second you know Eugen friends but she was on i think the remake of ferris bueller and now like you can huh. You can promote that show as her with a starring role when she clearly didn't have a starring role. But since she's in it, oh, let's promote it a sure. little more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, looking back. They're always doing that. I mean, yeah. that's how, uh, that's, that is the story behind, I think that's partial, the story behind Teen Wolf, the original Teen Wolf, was Michael J. Fox had shot that after uh, Back to the Future but then they held back releasing Teen Wolf until Back to the Future came out, which was a stroke of marketing genius. Yeah. Um, because, you know, clearly it spawned a decent franchise, you know, that still goes on today. Were you, we'll talk about this now. Okay. Were you surprised that they actually made a TV, like a dramatic TV show about it? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, does it lend itself to that? Not necessarily, but didn't there's a show also that's based on Archie? Yeah, Riverdale. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't normally think that would lend itself to uh, a, you know, an an hour long episodic for you know teens yeah. and. 20 year olds but i guess teen wolf i've actually never seen it i've only seen pictures of the 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 actor who plays styles but i've never seen it yeah i, I haven't either because I, I couldn't bring myself to it i mean it, it's probably good i just couldn't couldn't do it but what i love about the first teen wolf is it would say music makes the movie you need good music to incorporate you know into in the movie and the soundtrack made a horrible basketball game dramatic and exciting you know right yeah that yeah the soundtrack was was i think that was a standout for that yeah. movie too I, um somebody else just brought that up to me as well i haven't seen it in a long time but i know that they tried to replicate that um with team wolf 2 yeah. uh in trying to have a decent soundtrack in there as well and there's some there's some good takeaways from that uh, from Team Wolf 2 as well. Boingo yeah. Boingo has a song in it. Right. Um, then, of course, Do You Love Me? That uh, dance number, that weird dance number yeah. that's in the middle of it. Yeah. Right. And I think the song Send Me an Angel is also. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had the lead singer from that band on a couple of years ago. My wife and I watched um, Cruella. Okay. The the one with Emma Stone that they yeah. it was. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's fantastic. Oh, really? Okay. It's really well done. But the reason why I mentioned it is the soundtrack is amazing. Okay, good. It is. It's. I mean, generationally, I'm not sure how they came up with some of the songs a friend of mine an old friend of mine one of my best friends represents composers and his client did the music for that and i recognized his name and i was texting him after i was like did your client do cruella and he was like yeah and i was like where did they come up with like the doors in a disney movie i mean that gives you a uh, an idea of how eclectic the soundtrack was but uh you know for someone like me of my age watching a movie like Cruella's and I'm not necessarily the audience but they made me the audience because first of all it was was great it was yeah very well done very entertaining and the soundtrack was great it was amazing I mean you just don't have like really good soundtracks in in the last like you know probably decade or so because of the 80s which you know obviously a decade of soundtracks kind of bled into the 90s but then they, they kind of you know died down a little bit yeah you who did uh guardians of the galaxy right one and two um and then the, he just did the suicide squad he sort of brought back that 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 soundtrack to a movie where it fits and it sets moods but it's uh, using those songs that you are familiar with from the 60s and 70s. He had put into uh, the soundtrack for the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which you could listen to right now and be familiar with those songs in there. Um, and it'll bring you back to scenes from the movie itself, which is which what a good it's what a good soundtrack does. Right. Absolutely. Now you mentioned you know Teen Wolf two and you had to re- basically play a character who was already made by an, another actor Jerry Levine and I, I had him on a couple of years ago and I asked him why he didn't decide you know to do it and his first thing he said was because Michael J Fox wasn't going to be in it and then he basically said well in the first one you had the team aspect of the basketball game where he you know they r- rallied around Scott and this and that well the second one which is boxing and it was a boxing team, but it's basically one-on-one. So he's like, he just didn't feel like that incorporated into the Teen Wolf brand, so to speak. So that's why he ultimately passed on it. Interesting. Yeah. We had, um, we did a, um, or not we, they, they must've sold the rights to a company to do a, 30th anniversary of Team Wolf 2. So they did a Blu-ray. And then they, so they did a Blu-ray of uh, Team Wolf and Team Wolf 2. And so they interviewed uh, some of the actors from both uh, movies. And I, although I, I, I have Team Wolf 2, I don't have Team Wolf, but I, there's a clip I think in Team Wolf 2 
because I'm asked the same thing in that. So I did a, uh, a behind the scenes or a, you know, a, a retrospective yeah. for Teen Wolf 2. And I, my understanding was he wasn't asked to do it. Okay. That was my understanding. So I don't know the real story. Right. Uh, I just know he, he was great in it. Yeah. He was a great styles. He was a very different styles than what I did in my uh, interpretation in Team Wolf 2. But he was, he was great. He was excellent. And he should have been in the second one too. Um, my, but you know, that's, that's my my opinion. I'm glad I was. Yeah, of I course. Glad you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he was he was great. He was very good. Um, I've told this story before, but I when I auditioned for Teen Wolf two, I hadn't seen the first one. Okay. And I didn't want to see it because I wanted to read the script and interpret that character the way that <clears throat> the way I felt it needed it would it should have been interpreted for that particular movie so that's why I mean clearly the producers didn't care that the two characters didn't look anything like nothing alike right. and that I brought whatever I brought to Styles 2 then Jerry brought to Styles 1 in addition to, I've also shared this as well. Those two characters in my mind are not the same. They may be related, but the first names to both of those characters are different. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So the Styles one, <clears throat> Jerry's character, yeah. his first name is Rupert. That's right. In Styles. The Styles two that I portray, his first name is Ridley, mm. and that is a fact. So when people say, and you know, there's a debate about which Styles was better, they're both completely different because they're both totally different people. Was that intentional, or they just messed that up? That is a <laughs> great question, Noel. I don't know. But um, I knew that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I've said that and I've proved it on other podcasts because I have a, on the, on the, the uh, Blu-ray, uh, they, they show a picture of the nameplate that is in the dorm room in Team Wolf 2 okay. that has his name on it, Ridley. Styles Stalinsky, and I know that Jerry's character is Rupert Stalinsky. Yeah, was it intentional? I have no idea. My guess was no. My guess was they were like, <clears throat> whatever. Yeah. I think his name is. I think his name is Ridley. Let's just write his name is Ridley. I don't know. Right. That's my guess, but yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Exactly. I just loved how Chubbs is basically a two-sport athlete. You know, the personal basketball team, now he's on the boxing team. He's like, a guy guy's athletic. Yeah. Yeah. Chub, Chub, Chubby was it. He was, he was a diamond in the rough. He was yeah. our wild card. Right. <laughs> he was our ace in the hole. I mean, I didn't, you can obviously realize it 
during the opening credits that um, there had to be a relation between the producer and Jason Bateman. Turned out to be his father who produced the movie. Sure. Now, yeah. Did you ever talk to Jason about why he chose to do this? Did his father pressure him into making this movie? Did he agree to do it, like, you know, openly? So, you know, doing when I... I don't think we talked about it then. Um, when we were shooting it, for sure, it wasn't discussed. But it was, if you think about it logically... If you are a young actor on a TV show looking to make the jump to features, how could you not miss on the same vehicle that Michael J. Fox also right. was in as well? I, that to me is, if I'm it, it, at that time and I am Jason's agent, um, I would absolutely make that offer. And as a studio too, you're probably, you're like, this makes perfect sense. Are you kidding? This is a, this is a, a marketing easy step here. This is a, a this, how could you lose on this? So I'm certain that they probably just offered Jason the part. Right. And then in addition to that, you know, uh, he negotiated to have Kent, be one of the producers on it as well. I don't remember if like Hogan family or Valerie at that point was on at the same time or came after mm -hmm. or before, but he had, he had his own TV show. It's your move. And then right. silver spoon. So he was obviously established at that point. So. Yeah, he was. Um, I have, so the Hogan family, he was by far the standout character right. in that show. And then um, when I think it was Jessica Harper who left and, and they, oh, excuse me, Valerie yeah. Harper, thank you. Jessica Harper is another actress. She was in Phantom of the Paradise. Um, so Valerie Harper left. And then, oh, that's, is that when it became the Hogan family? Yeah. Cause I think it was, it was Valerie Duncan, Sandy Duncan came in. As and the Sandy end. Duncan yeah. came in, right. Right. I think I think it had transitioned to that at that point. But I mean, he was he was clearly to me extremely talented, very bright, um, witty. He was he just had natural talent. You could just see it. And I remember when I auditioned with him it was just very natural working with him. I had my final callback for that was with, with Jason. So they paired up the actors with, uh, they did that for the female lead and then also for the Styles character as well. And so I uh, auditioned with Jason at a stage uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood. And it was very natural and you could just, I mean, especially I had done a lot of theater up to that point. So I was very comfortable in those kind of situations where maybe you had to improvise a little bit. You didn't really know the other actor that well, but he was just immensely talented. You could just see it. There are like, you know, a few actors where you just look at him and you just think, you know, funny. Or they don't have to do anything, whatever. 
any movement they do is funny. And John Aston is one of those guys. So, you know, and uh, John Aston? Yeah. He's just mm-hmm. one of those guys that just, you look at him, you laugh. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just one of those funny, funny guys. So, did you, I, not, I don't think you had any scenes with him, but did you talk with him I, or anything like that? I didn't know, but um, this probably since, you know, not a lot of people saw the TV show that I did with Dean. It came from outer space because it was only in two major markets and then a smaller market. Those the major markets were LA and New York. Um, John guest starred on the final two episodes okay. of that show. And so um, it was, and so did Mark. Mark Holton also guest starred on right. the show too. So it was wonderful. It was a great callback to, you know, working with them earlier. So no, I didn't, I didn't talk to John on the set of Teen Wolf 2, but, you know, certainly I got to spend a lot of time with him on the set of They Came From Outer Space. Um, I did get to work with, um, it was thrilling to work with Jim Hampton um, on Teen Wolf 2. So, you know, at the time in my mid-20s, I was a fan of movies, TV, pop culture at that time. And so, uh, Jim was mostly known for F Troop, but he was also on the original, the original, the time there was no remake, but the original yeah. um, Longest Yard. Yard. Right. Robert Reynolds. So yeah. I had known him from that. And so it was, it was an absolute thrill to be with him. And there's some pictures on my website. There's a bunch of pictures from Team Wolf 2 of my, my personal collection. There's a couple pictures of, of, uh, Jim and myself and Jason and another actor, uh, Robert Neary. Right. Now, that was right on Teen Wolf 2 came out, I think, right around when Fox Network debuted. And yep. they really didn't have too many shows at that point. Uh, one of them was Beans, The Adventures of Beans Baxter, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think this term gets thrown around a lot, but I think it was kind of ahead of its time. For sure. Yeah, they probably you know should have given it a longer, a longer turn. Yeah, but that that was that was a a really good show. I I thought for the time. Savage Steve Holland. Right. He was the guy at that time. He was a a wonderkind, a a a savant. Yeah. Um, You know, he he had come off a couple of uh, mild hits. Better off dead. Uh, one crazy summer and then fox of course at that time 1986 ish they were developing uh the fourth network fox it was called fbc fox broadcasting company at the time so they gave a lot of these filmmakers carte blanche to do whatever they wanted to do so steve was one of those people who created a TV show that was eventually shot a very small portion of it called a pilot presentation. Um, and you're right. It was ahead of its time. A lot of fun. You know, a lot of the guest cast were uh, odd comedians, avant-garde, you know, fans of uh, Steve was fans of theirs. So they would come and do guest star on the show and we shot it in Vancouver. And that was, you know, very early on where, uh, Vancouver initially 
uh, was just a place they would shoot to save money, but right. then it became uh, Hollywood North. Yeah. Before that, you get started on the Golden Girls, which, um, you know, the show still hands up. It's on like four channels every day at the same time. I think it's on the Weather Channel right now. It's, it's everywhere. And just the show's grown in popularity, I think, over the last 30 years. Just, you know, the merchandise alone is it's crazy. Um, what was your experience like working on that show? Amazing. Just, I mean, once again, you know, I was one of those kids who, uh, who was a fan also. So in addition to being an actor and being respectful of my craft, I was also a huge fan of uh, talent. And so when I got cast in Golden Girls, it was very early on in my career. So I had done uh, The Facts of Life, um, Silver Spoons. Um, there was a show called they were doing a, a remake, a reboot of Love American Style. So I was on that. And then uh, I had a chance to read for Golden Girls. And then I got it. And it was a small part, a bit part. But I remember sitting in the bleachers where the audience sits. And even on all my, you know, the time when I wasn't rehearsing or on camera, I sat in the bleachers to watch the ladies work and to watch them how their behavior was on set was just, it was uh, invaluable for a young actor. I learned so much from them. And then, you know, to this day, when I see repeats of that show, I look at it and just think to myself how lucky I was to, to have that scene with B. Arthur, the great B. Arthur. Yeah, fabulous, just amazing. And then, you know, all of them just so talented. And Betty White's still going. I know. We have to protect her. You know, <laughs> still chugging along. Yeah, she's a, she's a national treasure. Yeah, absolutely. Can you like you mentioned that show? Can you, if you're flipping the channels, can you stop on something you've been in and sit and watch it? Uh, uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's been some stuff that I've done that I that I just I don't have any desire to see, but um, yeah, I mean, like it when Team Team Wolf Two's on, I'll, I'll watch it for ten minutes or so. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I'm an avid TV watcher. I love watching new shows, and there's so much new content on there. It's hard for me to focus on something that I've seen a, a zillion times, especially if it's if I'm in it. But if it's something I haven't seen in a while, like Godzilla. That's uh, for some strange reason the the original remake or reboot yeah. of Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. I was in. I have a small part in, um, and uh, so that's uh, if it's somewhere around that scene. I like watching that because I think to myself, I can't believe I'm in Godzilla. Number one, number two is such a strange role for me to yeah. play. I like watching it, so I'll watch that. Uh, other than that, yeah. I mean, if I, if I see it and I have, if I'm not doing anything, but if I'm with my family, they couldn't give a shit. They're like, you know, my kids, when they were younger, had no interest in watching dad right. on anything. When my, when my kids got a little bit older and they went and they were in high school or whatever, and they would, uh, you know, friends was still popular. 
and they would they you know they'd be talking and um like especially my daughter would say my dad was in friends and then suddenly you know dad was cool and dad was popular and then um when my son was in college he this was one of those moments where you know you feel like proud of what you've done to a certain extent one of his friends uh one of my son's friends when he first met me was uh i guess he had already seen ski school and he was like fits <laughs> like yeah right. it's me that's but, funny you know for the most part my kids don't care about any of that so yeah. whenever dad's on the tv they're whatever let's go back to watching whatever that netflix or whatever the hell we were watching right now you mentioned like netflix and out all the streaming sites they release whole season all at once and i think disney plus and apple are good because they release it like weekly the episode so you kind of have you know you kind of talk about it you can generate a buzz where if you're watching a show and someone else watching the same show you might be four episodes behind so you don't want to give anything away how do you prefer to watch tv do you binge it or do you prefer like the every week episode release you know before binging became a thing right and i i tie this to breaking bad um i think the uh the not the advent of binging but the original binge show I believe to be breaking bad because that had a completely new life when it was on Netflix. So it was aired on AMC weekly. And then when it became re, when it got rediscovered, like in season three, season four, so it was, I think it was big season two, uh, halfway through season two, two and, uh, or close to season three, it became incredibly popular. And that, is where I think the birth of binging started. And to that point, Noel, up to that point, you're used to either uh, taping a show, right, recording a show on a DVR, and then watching it at your leisure. Nowadays, for me personally, I love watching like anthologies. Uh, I like I like when a show has a through line. Like the old days sitcoms, right? There's a story, a beginning, middle, and end. The next episode, beginning, middle, and end. There was very little through lines to engage an audience. Today, I don't think you can engage an audience without having a through line that goes to the next show. Uh, That's why that, you know, early in the uh, 80s and 90s, they started to create arcs for characters <clears throat> like you had a guest star on that would be on an arc three or four episodes and and that attraction for an audience to me is invaluable especially if you're an advertiser you want a reason for the audience to come back so me personally my wife and I like to we love to watch we love to binge shows and I just think as far as an audience is concerned if you think about it there is a there is a, a compelling reason to connect the shows. So that disconnect between, um, you know, waiting a week is, I think, is an impingement 
on, uh, especially today and keeping an audience's attention. So that was a long answer. Wow, it was a really analytical <laughs> answer to your question, but uh, it's a great subject for me. I love to talk about the business right. of showbiz as well, but I, I love watch, I love binging shows. So when my wife and I watch a show, on HBO or show, or Showtime that we that we like, we usually will wait uh, until the until towards the end, and then we'll binge it. Yeah, I, I try to do that with my wife too. The only problem is she'll fall asleep halfway through an episode, and then yeah. I'll have to wait until we can mutually sure. you know sit on the couch and watch a show. And then I'm like, do I wait? Do I continue to watch the show? That ha- you mentioned Breaking Bad. That happened with um, Your Honor with Brian Cranston we got sure. about halfway through she fell asleep i'm like i want to want to finish the show already i got the remaining five episodes on the dvr i want to watch it and then we haven't gotten back to it and i feel bad going ahead with her because i know i'm gonna have to rewatch it from the beginning because she probably forgot the previous five episodes so i'm like that happens all yeah. the time with her you know <laughs> so this just happened to us as well so this is a bizarre uh, instance and you would think that how is it even possible that she would think these two shows were the same but we were in the middle of watching loki okay the show on disney plus yeah and white lotus the show on hbo so it, it was not that late but she was tired and so she fell asleep and then i started we started watching <laughs> watching Oh, I know what happened. We were watching Loki and there was something wrong with our Wi-Fi. So I was like, okay, we've got it. Let's, let's pause on this. I'll reset the Wi-Fi tomorrow, but let's watch White Lotus. So she was extremely tired. And so she must have dozed off between the time that I turned off Loki and put on White Lotus. And she was like, I don't remember any of these characters. And she thought she was, we were still watching Loki when we were watching White Lotus. Right. <laughs> yeah. You should have played along yeah. with it. <laughs> I could have, but I was just astounded that how could you even think that right. any of the characters from White Lotus would be in Loki? Yeah. <laughs> it just, the connection for me, this didn't work. That's, you know, how my mind works and how right. my mind works. Yeah, that's funny. I, I have to watch that too. That's also a show I have on the DVR. I like the whole first season. I have to go back and Which watch one? White Lotus. Yeah. It was good. It was interesting. Right. Um, yeah, it, my guess is I would think there might be a second season of it, but it has a, it has a, you know, it has, it's an anthology, so it has a beginning and an end to it. Right. Uh, it was, there were some weird, strange moments in it, uh, but, for, but for the most part, it was enjoyable, I thought. Now, you mentioned, you know, the business, and then another question is like, network television where you know the emmys are coming soon and no network shows are nominated for now but it's all pretty much all streaming and yeah. I, I mean the networks are going to survive but are network shows as good as they used to be you know noel i i don't i don't know i don't watch a lot of network shows me neither. To be honest, I mean, yeah. it's clearly the audiences that are viewing content today, clearly by the reflection of the Emmy nominations, um, 
a lot of that talent that was on uh, producing shows for Netflix, excuse me, for the networks are now producing shows for streaming uh, channels. Right. Hulu, Amazon, Netflix. So I don't know. My guess is no. I mean, you know, you know, back in in the you know the eighties and nineties, um, you know, sh- quality shows that Stephen Bochco produced. If you think about his body of work, right. shows that he created, David Milch created, those today, I would think, if they're going to pitch those kind of shows, they would go to one of the streaming sites. Uh, streaming providers because of number one the money and number two the ability to create whatever content they wanted without having yeah. to be edited and so you can i get, think there's i say you can get bigger names too if you make it say like an, a limited series or, or a 13 episode or 10 episode you know show rather than a 22 24 episode season on networks oh yeah yeah, we were. We just finished. Uh, my wife and I just finished watching. Uh, we binged, uh, and I know this is going to be strange because I hadn't seen it before. But Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that was really funny. And yeah, good, very good show. Uh, a lot of laughs. Great cast, amazing cast. But you know, when, when you are thirteen episodes in. And you're like, you know, you're used to watching 10 to 12 and you're 13 episodes in and you still have another nine to go. You're like, wow, man, I don't know how, you know, they did it then, but they, they did. And they still do, I guess, traditionally that, that format is dead. Right. Even the show 24, when it's first debut, the first what eight, nine seasons was 24 episodes. And I realized We'll just do 13. We'll just move forward a couple of, you know, a couple hours of the day and that works. Uh, yeah. And friends too. I mean, friends yeah. and, you know, friends, traditionally the sitcoms were 22 yeah. episodes, I think. I think it was 13 in the back nine, they used to call it. So I think traditionally they have 22 episodes and you'd have a special, you know, throw it in there too. Um, I mean, that's how there's, you know, actors made a shit ton of money right (laughs) paid per episode not you know per week right but per episode especially when you're doing a sitcom that's why you know you'll talk to actors who have done sitcoms they move to films um i just listened to a podcast um with an actor who wanted to go back to that you may have been may have been Jason Bateman's podcast. I don't know if you've heard his podcast. It's great. I recommend it highly. It's okay. called Smartless. Anyway, he was talking about that, about doing sitcoms and how incredibly easy they are. You go to one place, especially if you have a family, you go to one place, you film the show, you go back home and it's like a little play every week. It's a little play. Whereas you do a film, you go on location, you're away from your family, right. or potentially in another country and how easy sitcoms are to go back to that world. Yeah. It's a Monday through Friday job, right? So it comes. Yeah. Yeah. And with a, a very healthy hiatus, you know, you have a, uh, you know, a six month hiatus, six month on and six month off. That's why that, you know, traditionally back in the day, 
uh, you know, people like Michael J. Fox, who, who coincidentally enough shot Back to the Future at the same time he was filming Family Ties right. and how incredibly difficult, you know, that was to do filming Back to the Future at night. And then he'd go back to the set to do Family Ties. But traditionally, you know, you do all your films during your hiatus from your TV show. Because wasn't it because they NBC didn't like let him take the time off, right? Was that, was that why? So I think that's what I just I just saw that story. I think it was actually on Disney Plus. Uh, no, it was Netflix. I think that had uh, the movies that made us. I think, oh, right. and the story was is that NBC would not allow him to originally do the, the part right. so right. they i think that's how they came to uh, cast eric stoltz right and then two weeks into shooting they felt it was him. it didn't yeah that it was the the feeling they were getting was not what is not that what they were looking for the what producers right and the director was looking for uh zemeckis robert zemeckis so then they went back and they begged NBC and the creator of Family Ties. His name escapes me at the moment. I worked with him on Spin City. The Gary Goldberg, right? Yes, yeah. Gary David Goldberg. That's right. Um, yeah, so they went back, but they, you know, the the uh, the accommodation was is yeah. they had to pay for all of his travel, and he had to have him back. And so that's a that's a great showbiz story. Yeah. And that must have been so hard for him pretty to do. well for yeah me. absolutely on both ends <laughs> on both ends yeah yeah but Stuart, i i appreciate your time today i look forward to seeing you thanks for having me on your show noel it was a pleasure and it's very special thanks to Stuart for joining me today and if you have a guest suggestion you can hit me up on twitter at the first noel one nine or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, or basically wherever you can find a podcast. I'm going to be a little more regular now with these episodes now that the holidays are over. And we'll see you next week.